It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Gessman, coming to you on Monday, November 9th, 2020. And for the LA Galaxy, the 2020 season has come to an end after a 3-0 loss to the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, not surprising, being the LA Galaxy, we're already out of the playoffs, headed into this game. The result may be a little surprising, maybe not, depending on uh, your views of the 2020 season. So we're going to go over that loss. We're going to talk about some of the things that were said after the game by some of the players, some, some interesting things maybe we can dig into next and dot. Uh, there's a whole bunch of players out on international duty, and that also ties into the game uh, against the Vancouver Whitecaps. And then we got Galaxy roster and roster decisions and final standings, Galaxy stats. So we're going to put a whole bunch of things together for you and get you through this last game and, and sort of pointed towards the offseason a little bit. To help me do all that, it's uh, Kevin the Panda Baxter. Kevin, how's it going, buddy? Hey, you know what? In the spirit of the election season, um, I don't think the Galaxy should concede this season. I think they're still a playoff team. And I think with those 12 losses, what they need to go back and look at fraudulent goals yes. for their opponents and then goals that weren't counted for the Galaxy. I'm sure they're there. I, I was going to say, I think the Galaxy should just claim uh, the MLS supporter shield. That's what they should yeah, do. Exactly. They, they should yeah. go out and just claim for electoral college's purposes. They should claim it. Anyway, uh, lots of stress relief uh, after this. And uh, can I tell you something? And I, and I said this on Twitter today, and I don't think people quite understand where this I'm This is just between from. you and me, right? Yeah, yeah. This is just between yeah. nobody else is listening. Uh, but between you and me, um, this season was absolutely exhausting to cover. And I only had to cover one team. You you cover multiple teams. So uh, I already feel like I'm whining to somebody who's not going to give me uh, uh, you know, any sort of um, uh, slack or, or leeway on it. I, I certainly will admit, Kevin, that, that some of it has to be the fact that uh, my little dude Jake uh, was born this year. So I'm sure that the lack of sleep and just the uh, constant go that I'm on there certainly had its, had its place in there. But uh, talking to players after the game, uh, in Vancouver, and I think Sasha Kleshin talked about it, and Perry Kitchen talked about it. It's like playing games every like three or four days. It was exhausting for them, and then covering games every three or four days was exhausting for me. But the hardest part about this season, uh, because we went from you know start to stop for a very long time, and then all of a sudden it was go go go. Um, the hardest part was trying to figure out different ways to frame an LA Galaxy loss because uh, this season was crap for them, uh, and I think my vocabulary probably grew in a lot of ways, a lot of synonyms for for losing because that's what that's what happened. With the LA Galaxy. Well, and that's why I have some sympathy for players and Guillermo that used the schedule as an excuse. Well, not an excuse. He used it. He he cited it many times. Where you know this was an unusual year, and and it, it, I get that. But you know, teams like Toronto and Philadelphia and Sporting Kansas City managed to thrive uh, under the same difficulties. But it was a tough season, and I, I really feel for general managers and coaches because. The season changed. You 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 put your roster together based on the schedule, um, and you know some teams want to have a real strong eleven and maybe a weak bench because there's going to be enough uh, you know time between games, and then all of a sudden you're playing three games in a week and you need squad rotation and your squad's not that deep. Um, I mean, it, it was just really tough. You started the season, came out of uh, training camp, started the season, then had a four month break. Then all of a sudden you're playing this tournament in a quarantine situation where you're playing some games at nine in the morning and some games at eleven at night. I mean, I was there for that. That was 
off the hook crazy. Right. Then you come home and you're playing games without fans. You're traveling the same day of the game. By the way, that rule went out the window. I don't know when, but the Galaxy <laughs> were in Portland the day before their game, and they had gotten permission to travel to Colorado the day before their game. I know when Houston came here to play LAFC, that whole one-day travel thing was gone, so I don't know whether a lot of teams complained about that or what. But, you know, the travel rules changed. Again, no fans in the stands. That makes a big difference. Um, time, you know, flying to a different time zone to play this, the game the same day. It, it was it was tough. I, I agree with Alexei Lawless. I mean, um, this season gets an asterisk, but the, the team that wins is still champion. Yeah, it's it's a different sort of thing. I, I refuse to acknowledge a Supporter Shield winner that didn't play a, a whole bunch of other, other teams. Uh, that's fine. Philadelphia Union, you can have your, your, your shield that apparently LAFC didn't return on time. Uh, and all sorts of fun stuff that goes into that. But at the same time, um, asterisk, giant one. And uh, you can say, hey, they just survived it better. Scheduling in this year was was crazy and nuts. And uh, the Galaxy ended up playing eight teams, while some teams ended up playing, I think, 13 or 14 different opponents uh, whenever you look at it. So uh, just nuts. I don't know. I, I don't know how to put any of this. I can tell you one thing, that whenever you look at this, Kevin, um, you look at what the LA Galaxy did this year, you look at what happened around the league, and one thing is fairly conclusive regardless uh, or irregardless of, of COVID-19, um, irregardless of, of any scheduling you know, situations that were difficult, um, that the LA Galaxy were a bad team. Were they as bad as their, uh, as their standings finally proved out? Yeah, I mean, probably because that's where they ended up. I mean, that's that's one of those things where you sort of say, you know, the 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 truth is in the uh, in the standings that where they where they ended up. But a, we talked about this beforehand. A a, a shallow team, uh, a team without you know any sort of depth, uh, and then basically missing their designated players for every you know for forty percent of the time. But it ended up really was more than that. And we'll get into some of those stats and sort of let you know uh, what that was. But yeah, I mean, there was there was no cohesiveness. There was no uh, momentum outside of the four games that they won, you know, sort of coming back after uh, after the MLS's back tournament, which they stunk up and, and didn't play very well. So uh, there's just a lot of things that, that went sideways. And this is a bad LA Galaxy team. Every stat that we pull tells you this is a bad LA Galaxy team. And this game in, in Portland against Vancouver, which is probably, you know, one of the first where you get to play Vancouver and Portland. I'm sure the LA Galaxy have never done that before. Um, you know, it was just sort of a, a, a microcosm of, of everything that happened. You had, you had a Julian Araujo red card, which was certainly an issue this year of keeping Araujo on the field. Um, you had an LA Galaxy team, Kevin, who I thought actually played pretty well through the first 15 or 20, 25, even 30 minutes, um, still gave up a goal during that time, which of course makes sense for the 2020 team. Uh, you know, defensive lapses, uh, turning things off, all that made sense. Uh, but, you know, overall, it's, it's Dominic Kinnear's last game to sort of impress the LA Galaxy brass here um, and say, hey, I can be the guy who's in charge because because the guys listen to me and then your guys go out and, and give you a performance like that. It wasn't a lazy performance. It just wasn't the one that Dominic Kinnear would like to put on the top of his CV before he hands it over to, uh, to Dennis DeClosa and, and Chris Klein. Yeah, but a lot of the players did come out and try to make up for that. They had a lot of kind things to say about Dominic afterwards. Um, we don't know for sure whether Dominic even wants this job. He's, he hasn't answered that question, and he has been asked many times. Um, he said it was unfair to talk about it now and not to think about him right now. Um, I, I do know that he feel, feels wounded the way the last process went when he was interviewed, but uh, obviously not uh, given sincere interest uh, in the job. And I, you know, I think now he's He's I think a he's proven himself, and a lot of the players coming out speaking on be his behalf. You know, hopefully that'll go a long way because I do think that the players did respond to him. 
Just remember, just remember, Kevin, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, God himself, spoke and said that Dominic Kinnear would be a great coach. And the LA Galaxy decided, nah, not sexy enough. And then and then decided to go away from it. And, you know, to be in, in full transparency, I think I kind of agreed at that time that, you know, the LA Galaxy need a bigger name. They need to do something and blah, 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 blah. I can tell you that I feel like I'm full of crap. Um, that looking at it now and looking at what the LA Galaxy need, and there's some guys who lay that out. I'll, we'll get to those quotes, but there's there's a lot of things here that, that sort of point towards uh, Dominic Kinnear. Just wanted to get over some some stuff from the Vancouver game before we start diving into all the little things. And uh, certainly, if you read my game recap, I wasn't exactly focused on this game like it was uh, it was super important. Now the LA Galaxy, Kevin, came out before this game and said, you know, Dominic Kinnear said it, and and the whole organization was saying this is an important game for us. Uh, we're going to play it like it, it matters because we want the momentum that carries through in the off season of, of having won the last game. We want that feeling. We want that good feeling to last, you know, throughout however long this off season is going to be. Uh, so they wanted to do that. And then whenever they said that, they then said, hey, Sebastian Legette, you can go to the U.S. men's national team early so you don't have to be at this game. So uh, we're going to take this super seriously, but go ahead. You can depart early, which is fine. Um, ultimately, I don't think it, it, it means all that much. But they also did the same thing with Jonathan Dos Santos which is, hey, Jonathan Dos Santos, you know what? We know you've been injured and haven't been able to train or play, but please go to the Mexican national team. Uh, I imagine it's that way their doctors can sort of look at you and evaluate you um, and see how things are going. I wouldn't expect that all of a sudden Jonathan Dos Santos is 100% healthy and playing in friendlies, Kevin, but it's certainly an interesting storyline to watch if, in, if indeed that is the case. Well, and if you need... Yeah, if you need more evidence of how the Galaxy collapsed at the end of the season, just think about what you just said. They took the field for the last game without their captain, uh, Dos Santos, one of their DPs, without arguably their second best player, third best player, one of the top players, Sebastian Legette. And then they had no assistant coach. I mean, their coach, they, ha- they have no coaching staff. So they're missing two of their star players. They have no coaching staff. And they go into this game and said, yeah, this is an important game. We're really going to try to win this. You sort of, it, you know, it's one of those things where, listen, it, do you pay attention to what they say or what they do? Yeah, it, it's it, it's just interesting how it goes. I mean, the, the lineup that you got there was still pretty much kind of, it was almost exactly what you'd expect. Uh, you'd had, you had Zubak starting up top. Again, Chicharito coming off the bench in this game, played the, the entire second half. Uh, you had Pavone and Alvarez, so Efrain. Alvarez slotted in for Sebastian Legette, by the way, uh, for somebody who constantly berates Efrain Alvarez, I'll tell you that I thought he had one of his better games in an LA Galaxy kit um, in this particular game. Uh, you had Yoni Gonzalez, who started and actually played very well up until the point where they had to sub him off because of uh, of the red card from Julian Araujo. Uh, you had Corona, who slotted in for Jonathan Dos Santos, and Kitchen was back in there, and then you had Insua, Sterez, Gonzalez, Araujo, um, and then Bingham back in goal there. Uh, okay, quick first first trivia question here kevin and i know you know the answer but i'm gonna ask you anyway uh there was one player this year who played every minute of every game and i'm pretty sure everybody can figure that one out um that one is of course christian pavone but there's another player who at least started and played in every game this year can you name that person yeah it's in sewer right yeah it is correct and because i told you earlier today but i wanted everybody else to play along at least for a little bit um so yeah so emiliano and sua has been a, a, I would say, an average plus defender for the LA Galaxy this year. I think that he suffers from some lapses and some other things that are, aren't great. Um, but it was funny because I was doing a, uh, a podcast for with some guys over in the UK, and they knew all about Nsua, obviously, played for Liverpool, so they were very familiar with him, and they're like, wow, well, you have him, and you have you know Jonathan Dos Santos, and you have Chicharito. They're like, so why does your team suck? And I'm like, I'm like yeah, we've been, we've been covering them for, for years, and sometimes we don't have answers to those questions. 
questions. Uh, but they knew Insua. So, um, you know, I think if you're looking at, at guys that were more success than failure on this, Emiliano Insua uh, and this season is probably one of those guys who's who's a be- bigger success than, than any sort of failure and certainly coming in um, in a position where, you know, Ashley Cole used to play, where Todd Donovan used to play, where the LA Galaxy have really wanted that left back and having to play every game uh, with Danilo Acosta suffering the uh, season-ending injury. So a lot of things sort of went into the fact that Insua played every game. Uh, he just didn't p- play every minute of every game. I think he was 89 minutes short of the total, so he had some substitute appearances in in there that where he was pulled out for, for subs and stuff like that. So Yeah, I'm going to push back a little. I think he was a, above average. You know, I, I'm not a superstar by any stretch of the imagination, but I think at that position, uh, it – I think it's a good thing that you're surprised that he played that many minutes and played that many games and started and, and played that much. Um, he had a really high work rate, I thought, but he was solid and you, it kind of like an offensive lineman. If you really don't notice him, he's probably having a really good season. Yeah, he. I, I said average plus. That was you know that okay. means above average. So I'm I think we're on the on the same uh, on the same page here. Um, with as much as Guillermo Barrascoloto wanted him and whoever was playing the right back role to get into the attack, uh, a ton of miles put on the legs of Insua. He might as well have been playing midfield there. And then you talk about Christian Pavone. Uh, yes, I think the criticism of Christian Pavone not coming back and playing defense is an accurate one. But also when he's your most da- dangerous offensive weapon, you probably don't want him playing a ton of defense. Uh, just some on occasion would be just uh, just great. So uh, the big storylines in here is, of course, that the LA Galaxy allow the first goal, which uh, isn't necessarily surprising, except for Kevin. They are actually controlling possession. Uh, they actually look like the better team. It looked like they were going to find something. The craziest thing that you'll ever see is that the expected goals in this, and it makes sense because it's absolutely 100% true, but the LA Galaxy were dangerous in the first half, uh, all the way up until, uh, you know, uh, Julian Araujo got his red card in the 41st minute, and it was a well-deserved red card. He, he deserves to go. He wasn't trying to injure anybody. It wasn't this horror tackle that somebody tried to make it out to be on Twitter. That's not what happened. He just went through the ball uh, with his studs up. He got the ball, and then he got the player afterwards, and there were some distance between those two things, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's stuff that, that you sort of have to watch for. Um, and so uh, whenever whenever Julian Rajo goes, then um, they end up giving up, you know, a second goal about two minutes later. Um, and so that that sort of just spirals out. And whenever Chicharito and, and Christian uh, or uh, uh, Sasha Kleshin come in in the second half, the Galaxy again, pick it up and actually put together a pretty good sort of uh, push in the second half. They were just down to 10 men, which is kind of like playing with Ethan Zubak up top. It's like you're down to 10 men most of the time. Um, and so this is an LA Galaxy team that looked dangerous many times. Sasha Kleshin hit the crossbar. Uh, there were some shots that looked like they might go, and there's still, I think, I think the Vancouver keeper ended up having to make, uh, Evan Bush had to make six saves, I think, uh, total whenever you look at it. Um, and having said that, the LA Galaxy had almost no chances to score on any of those. Uh, the expected goals ended up being like 2.7 for Vancouver and like 0. 0.3 or 0. 0.4 for the LA Galaxy. So uh, the score checks out. The 3 nothing score, that, that checks out. Everything about that checked out. Uh, the LA Galaxy put in, you know, I would say a, a workman-like effort, but they have zero to show for it. And for me, Kevin, that is 2020 in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of ended the season the way it started. Remember, they started with that uh, five-game winless streak, the worst start in franchise history, and then they kind of ended on a down note. It's kind of bookends when you think about it. I mean, I, there were some pauses with Dom, especially the two previous games, and there seemed to be a little bit of hope. But I guess was that really that stoppage time goal from Rui Diaz uh, in the Seattle game that, that – uh, took a lot of the air out of the balloon and and uh you could kind of see the hangover you know when they got to portland that yeah they wanted to play they wanted to act like there was something to play for but i think 
everybody was smart enough to know there really wasn't. So uh, we went into the the post game there, and there weren't a lot of reporters in there, mostly because there were other LA games going on. And so uh, whenever there's a there's a home LA game and an away LA game on the other side, it's usually just me and, and a couple of my friends in the uh, in in the post game. So um, we got to talk and ask some questions. Dominic Kinnear talked. Uh, it was funny. Um, just just you know he could tell he was like you know we didn't want to end it this way and you know you never like to like to see this uh, i asked him about julian araujo i thought it was funny and i'll paraphrase sort of his response and i said you know julian araujo has had some problems you know staying on the field he's he's an aggressive defender he's young he makes mistakes what does he need to do to sort of figure that out and it was funny dominic Kinnear says you know he's a tough guy he's like no but like not a pretend tough guy you know julian araujo is a tough guy out there he's very physical uh, he just has to work on making better decisions and to use that physicality um, a little bit more smart and he goes but he's young and he's going to learn that and when he does you know he's, he's going to be really good and I think that's one of the things that we have to look at Julian Araujo here is that um, I know Kevin you have some some U.S. men's national team I think you talked a little so I think Greg Berhalter was talking about Julian Araujo but from the LA Galaxy perspective um, you look at Julian Araujo and there's, I say it's 50-50 that he leaves this winter, um, and then probably you know 75-25 that if he doesn't leave this winter, he leaves in the summertime. Um, it's just, yes, he's young. Yes, he has a lot of development. Yes, the LA Galaxy would love to hold on to him for a little bit longer um, and do that, but somebody out there in world football is going to want to pay a whole bunch of money for him, and the LA Galaxy need to press the button whenever that happens. They need to take that money. Um, and they need to let Julian Araujo go and develop into the player that he's going to be. And then whenever he's, you know, 29, 30, uh, he can come back and play right back for the LA Galaxy after having spent, you know, a, a good, a good uh, almost 10 years playing in Europe. That's at least how, how I see it sort of playing out. So um, Julian Araujo is the real deal. I think we learned that, that se- this season. Um, and I think that's one of the important things I take away from this game and, and this season is that Julian Araujo is real. No, I think he needs... A, a couple of seasons more. I mean, I, I compare him to other great players, uh, you know, young players in MLS that have come through, like Al Moron, when he came to Atlanta, people thought he was the finished product, and he needed a couple of years before he went to the Premier League. And Atlanta wound up getting a lot more money for him uh, by waiting. You look at guys like Brian Rodriguez, you know, who's at the same age, um, is one of the top assist leaders in MLS this season. He's on the Uruguayan national team and World Cup qualifiers. You know, he has not gotten a lot of calls from Europe. So, you know, um, is he a good player? Yeah, he's a really good player. I just think that he obviously he's showing he needs some discipline. He, he didn't get called up to the national team. And I know a lot of MLS players didn't get called up. But in Greg Berhalter, in complimenting him, also sort of between the lines said he's not quite ready yet. I, I think Julian is, is go- he's going to go somewhere at some point. I, I just I'm not as high on him as you are. I don't think he's quite finished yet. I think he's which, he's still which, a little which, rough. Yes, and but, he that, needs to be that's polished. Ex- but that's exactly why somebody's going to take him because if they wait on Julian Araujo, they have to p- spend a lot more money to get him later. Right, which so, is which helps the galaxy. I mean, I, my point would be the galaxy should hang on to him uh, and and do some of that polishing here. I look at look at the difference between what Almiron got and what he would have got or what Atlanta would have gotten after that first season. They waited a couple of years and got a lot more money. Um, and I, I I think you're seeing LAFC do the same thing with Diego Rossi. Um, I, I I think it would be to the galaxy's benefit to hang on to him, maybe make him the starter next year. You know, Rolf's not going to be back. Make him the starter. Um, let 
everybody see him play 34 games. He's still a teenager, get a little bit of experience with the national team, get to be, be in, you know, some of those really, really high pressure situations. Um, and he's going to be a worth a lot more. I, I, I could actually see him staying with the galaxy through the world cup and then going a- after the world cup and cutter. Well, I mean, he was the starter this year. I mean, yes, Rolf Felcher may have, may have started the season as the starter, but he was not the starter at the end of the season. Uh, Julian Araujo had to play. Some, no, but he, some moved, he moved back. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he moved back and forth between the wing and, and right. I, I just think I, I think when you're when you're when you're scouting this guy, I think you want to. Yeah, you'd like to know that he has some versatility, but I think you want to say, can this guy play 38 games for us in the Bundesliga or wherever it is? Um, can he play that position uh, a long time? And, and but you know what? The other thing, now that you think about it, the position he's playing. I mean, where are some of the best American players? The guys that are going overseas. Um, and, and and making names for themselves, what position do they play? They play that outside back. You know, yep. you're talking about Sergio Dents and 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 uh, Tyler Adams. Um, you know, uh, Chris Richards with Byron Munich. Uh, Alfonso Davies on the other side. He's not American, but he played in MLS. Yep. I mean, that's Yedlin. what that Yedlin also Yedlin. was. You know, the exactly. right back role that that that, it, it, that morphs into it, a right back and a right mid role. I mean, those are they're interchangeable right now in 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 world soccer. Right, and and we thought Nick Lima was going to be that guy for the uh, national team a couple of years ago, and he's sort of faded from the picture. But, um, you know, you used to think of American players, goalkeepers. That's what they were really good at, and you had Tim Howard and Brad Gusan and a lot of those guys go over and play in Europe and do quite well. And then all of a sudden, uh, there were some attacker, attacking players like Christian Pulisic, um, you know, uh, Josie Altidore before him. Yeah, I was going to say Clint Dempsey, right? And, and, but now, I mean, I think this has really sort of become that position for American players or North American players, anyways. That that versatile outside back that can get up and down the field, use his athleticism. Um, you know, the soccer IQ needs to be high as well. But it, it's it when you think about the you know North American players have really kind of carved themselves on each at that outside back slash winger position. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, so so that was one of the things Dominic Kinnear. Um, I, I thought it was interesting. Dominic Kinnear also was asked um, sort of what the LA Galaxy need to do, um, you know, to sort of get better. And this was very much a, hey, Dom, you're the head coach or, you know, you're the interim head coach. But if you're going to answer this question, then what does that this is? This is your chance to sort of lay out what your uh, what your plan is. And, and Dominic Neer said, and I'll, I'll quote him from this um, from my article as well. It says, uh, the league is evolving as we know. Um, I think the players that are here have to hold themselves to a very high standard, which I think they do. But I think when you look back at the season for the group that comes back, it has to be understood that what has happened this year is well below standard. This team should not be below the playoff line when MLS is adding teams to the playoff picture. Everyone should be disappointed. If anybody walks away and thinks the season was a good one for them, I think they'd be mistaken. And then it's important for us as a group, for the technical staff, to look at the roster and try to improve upon that. There needs to be improvement in a lot of positions. But for us to be fighting for a playoff spot, for the LA Galaxy to be fighting for a playoff spot late in the year, for me, is not the story that should be told. Uh, and Dom was basically saying, you know, don't, don't, this is the, this LA Galaxy, the LA Galaxy should never be fighting for a playoff spot. They should already be in the playoffs. Um, and, and that was sort of his, his big take on that. But listen, he talks about the technical staff here, Kevin. I mean, clearly it's not surprising that when you put him in a head coaching role that he's going to look at the team and say there needs to be improvement. But what this also tells me um, is that Dominic Kinnear, looking at this at the roster that Guillermo Barrascoloto and Dennis Tocoso put together, is incomplete. And I think Dennis would tell you that. I think Guillermo would tell you that. But at the same time, hearing it from the guy who was the assistant coach um, and is now the interim head coach and could possibly be the head coach, he's saying 
this roster wasn't good enough. It was incomplete, and we need to be better. Well, you know what's really interesting about that is I talked to Dominic two years ago when I was doing a story on Ziggy Schmidt when before Ziggy got fired, and I was talking about whether the Galaxy were on their way back, whether becoming the Galaxy of old, and Dominic uh, gave a really good answer. He is very well-versed in Galaxy tradition and the Galaxy culture, which, you know, we've really gotten away from the Galaxy culture in the last four years. I think everyone can say that. I mean, what is the Galaxy now? What does it stand for? Um, what style does it play? I, I, I don't think we really have a handle on that. But my point was that Dominic wasn't a guy who had coached in Houston and San Jose and, and just took a job. He knew what the Galaxy stood for. He knew, um, you know, what it meant to wear that crest and, and to play in that stadium. Um I, I'm not sure that Guillermo ever knew that. And that's not a knock on Guillermo. If you're a coach at, at Boca Juniors, you don't have to know that stuff. But Dominic's been in MLS his whole life. He knows what that's about. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I do think that's important because the, the team has gotten away from its culture, uh, the culture that won five MLS titles. It needs to get back to that. And the easiest way to get back to it is to understand what it was before you take the job. Yeah, it's it's super important. It's funny because, um, you know, you're you're getting a view from Dominic Kinnear of the LA Galaxy, and it's funny because you're going to get a view from from the LA Galaxy from David Bingham as well. You know, coming from that San Jose and Houston perspective, um, and it, it's interesting to sort of see how those guys view things. So, so you got Dominic Kinnear sort of saying it. My big thing in asking questions after this was one to sort of see you know where everybody was was standing. One of the things that happened was uh, Sasha Kleshin spoke, Kevin. And I felt that it was important because Sasha is 35 years old. And, you know, I, as, as I as I tried to put as gracefully as possible, I said, you know, you're closer to the end of the road than the beginning. I don't know. I'm sure those guys just want to smack me. Like, I, if it makes Sasha feel any better, I'm older than him. And I realize this every time I ask these questions. Uh, but I said, you know, you're, you're closer to the end of the road than the beginning. Have you given any thoughts to, to retiring and you know will you be back with the LA Galaxy next year and he, he told me very clearly he said he said I've given no thought to retiring he goes I still feel like my body can handle it he goes I still feel good he goes you know it was difficult for me this year because of playing every three or four days um, you know it's tough for my body to recover every three or four days he goes so you know that's something that that didn't work out well for for, for me this year I think he was he was indicating uh, but that it was something that he could still do and that his body you know just needed some rest and, and relaxation to sort of get back from that and he'd and he'd be back now his other thing is he also said and he hoped to be back with the la galaxy next year we're not quite sure where sasha question's contract is if it's a two-year contract he has another year left um but that's not always clear and it very well could be one year plus an option uh for the la galaxy as well so sasha question could be at you know technically out of a team and out of play if the la galaxy don't want to bring him back uh, now I, I told that and stated that kevin uh for people and i got a lot of negative sort of responses to sasha question question uh staying with the la galaxy and in my mind this is something that people and i think people who pay really close attention to the team kevin you know fans and, and certainly media members realize who the leaders are on on teams right and you can say that jonathan dos santos has the arm bad armband as the captain or you know javier hernandez has the armband as the captain uh but you know they're not leaders on this team. You can you can see that from whenever you talk to guys and whenever you see who they respect and who they talk to. 
um, you know, to me, those guys aren't the guys who pop up first. I'll tell you the guy who does pop up first for me is, is pretty obvious. Um, Sa- Sasha Kleshin is the leader of this LA Galaxy team. You're talking about a guy who doesn't didn't play a whole bunch of minutes uh, this season, but the LA Galaxy needs somebody like that in the locker room. They need somebody like that who can come into the game. And by the way, Sasha Kleshin had a very, very good game in the second half when the LA Galaxy were playing 10 v 11 uh, in this game. And, and that's what Sasha can bring you is the ability to bring him in in, in certain situations and let him sort of thrive. And I think in the last two or three games, you saw Sasha Kleshin catches, catches, you know, get his feet underneath him, catch his breath and, and start to really play in a system that Dominic Kinnear sets up and that has, I think, put a bunch of people on more success. So um, I think anybody who's negative on Sasha Kleshin, certainly you can say he's not as quick as he used to be. That is, I think he would be the first one to tell you that. Uh, but when you look at Sasha Kleshin for me, Kevin, he's a no-brainer to bring back into the locker room. You need somebody like that. You need somebody like, you know, an AJ De La Garza. You need somebody like a Juninho whenever you brought Juninho. Sometimes guys are important just for being in the locker room. And while you don't want to waste a spot on that, Kevin, you, you need those guys. Somebody needs well, to be the leader. Well, and, and I think the frustration he talked about or the, was evident, you know, in answering your question, he was not brought in to pay, like you said, he wasn't brought in here to play 2,000 minutes. He was brought in to be the leader in the clubhouse, as you said, the leader in the dressing room. And and we're starting to, I, I think we've always suspected this since the, since midseason, since uh, the end of the Orlando tournament, but it really came to light, I think, at the end of the year that it was not a harmonious dressing room, that there were some, some issues there, maybe some of it emanating from the coaching staff, but it wasn't um, – the locker room that Sasha Kleshin was brought in to sort of preside over. And I think he's, I think he feels a little bit of responsibility, a little bit of disappointment that he wasn't able to unite everybody. And I think that, that as much as this regular season record probably weighs on him a little bit. I think he, he does want to be and need to be that leader. And I I think he'd like to get another shot at that. Um, You know, I think if you, if you were able to speak to him off the record freely, I think he'd probably tell you that he felt like some of that was taken away from him, that, that maybe his uh, leadership power is a little bit undermined uh, by some people from outside the the locker room. And um, I, I, my guess is he doesn't want to go out that way. He wants to give it another shot. Yeah, I, I think those are those are good classifications of, of sort of if you want to read between the lines on that stuff. I think a lot of this is reading between the lines. My my second goal from from after the game was to find out about these guys who had now been playing. You know, we talked about it last time. Dominic Kinnear was in charge after Siggy Schmidt had left Kevin, um, but you get somebody like uh, like Dom come in, and there is a difference in styles. And I, I think I asked Perry Kitchen the difference in styles, um, and it wasn't so much. You know, tell me the difference in the styles, but what do you notice with Dominic Kinnear? Why is, why should he be considered for the head coaching? And and it was funny because uh, Perry Kitchen, and um and David Bingham both said flat out that they thought Dominic Kinnear should be the coach. Now, um, they're also also both starting under Dominic Kinnear, which we should point out. Um, and you know, with David Bingham, he's been uh, you know he's had Dominic Kinnear as a coach before, up in San Jose. So. There's some links here, so you know you can't just take it 100%, but at the same time, I feel like anybody you would talk to in the locker room would probably tell you these same things. So um, Perry Kitchen said, uh, you know, I think the guys respond very well to how Dom wants to set up the team. Um, I think he seriously has to be considered for the role. He's a great coach. He's a great guy. Again, that's up to the leadership, but he definitely had control of the locker room, and the guys respect him v- very much so. Kevin, 
you, this is, I didn't ask them to contrast and compare between Guillermo Barrescoloto and Dominic Kinnear, but anything that I read here seems like it's set up in that way to where they're telling me what was wrong with Guillermo Barrescoloto. That's, that's how I'm taking it. Now that could be, I could be reading into that and connecting dots that don't need to be connected. But when you hear that, uh, you know, he has control of the locker room, that's not something that just pops up into somebody's head, like randomly where you're like, oh yeah, well, well, every coach should have control the locker room right so why did that come out um and if we're going to parse every word that to me is a, is a telling word he had you know a telling telling couple of words he had control over the locker room and it's in when you link that with stuff that david bingham said as well i think it even you know opens up at least my eyes a little bit wider is is do you think i'm being crazy on that no, but there's a couple of things. There's a couple of stylistic things. Um, should the coach have control of the locker room? Not necessarily. A lot of coaches in a lot of different sports never go into the locker room or don't like to spend a lot of time there. They feel like that's the player's thing. And that's where a Sasha question comes in uh, to being or or back in the in a couple of years ago with the Dodgers and AJ Ellis or, or, or somebody like that. The locker room is where the players are, and that's where they talk and discuss things. And coaches don't like to go in there because they want the players to be able to speak freely, and maybe they're criticizing the coach. So, you know, you can say he didn't have control of the locker room, but then you can also say maybe he's not supposed to. I know uh, when Dominic was – one of the reasons Dominic was was given the job when Ziggy was fired was because uh, near the end especially, Dominic was the guy that went in the locker room and – talked to the players and delivered Ziggy's uh, messages. Ziggy did not spend a lot of time in the locker room was my understanding. And that's how Dominic, uh, you know, got a relationship with a lot of these players. So uh, just the fact that the, the, you know, um, Dominic has that relationship really helped him when he did come into the locker room, the players already be, uh, you know, had a, a relationship with him and respected him. Um, so, and, and you did hear um, Bingham talk about how, you know, he thought that there was a, um, uh, an, accountability, an accountability, uh, right? Well, n- not so much the accountability part of it, but the fact that some players are treated differently than others. And that is the one thing that will blow up a locker room faster than anything else. And that's one of the things we were very critical at the end of last season with some of the things that went down with Salata in the locker room. And that was part of it um, that, you know, there was, a, there was a lot on rules and there was rules for everybody else. Is that fair? Yes. He's the only one in that, a locker room that scored 500 goals for club and country. He's right. the only one in that locker room that was one of the three greatest players of his generation. So that makes a little bit of sense. Um, I don't know that if, if Chicharito was the player that had a different set of rules and it's it sort of, you know, some of the indications kind of point that way. I think a lot of the players like Sasha Kleshton have been on a world cup team and, and, and you know, Jonathan Dos Santos, maybe he supported him. He'd been on three world cup teams. Some of those guys were looking at that and saying, well, wait a minute, that's not Zalatan. That, that guy is kind of, in our area code, you know, we're kind of close to him. Why does he get these different rules? And that's the one thing that'll blow up a locker room quicker than anything else. And, and Dominic, again, he is a guy that's been around. He is a guy that has these relationships with these players. It's a stylistic difference. And I think one big thing with the Galaxy, I was talking to Kurt Anoffo, uh, a, a couple of days ago. And by the way, did you know he had COVID in January? He was one of the first people in the country to get COVID. He's recovered. Everything's fine. But I found that interesting. Anyway, he was telling me that, you know, when he took over as coach in, 27, in 2017, he got 20 games. And then they they let him go, and then they took Ziggy. You know, uh, his thing was young players. The young players loved him. Steris, Romney, all those guys, you know, swore by 
uh, Cordonafo. He came in and he tried to implement his style. He was only given 20 games and he's fired. Then they bring Ziggy in and they go completely in a different direction. Ziggy doesn't last the full season. Then they bring in Guillermo, another direction. That doesn't work out. You know, Guillermo makes it only through one season. Um, the Galaxy, whether it's Dom or whomever, they need to, to settle on a culture and a style and kind of stick with it because you've got, I'm sure if you talk to the players that have been there in that locker room through all this, and that would be Steris and Legette, they'll tell you that sometimes they're not quite sure what end is up. It's just bouncing from one extreme to the other. And they, the Galaxy need to really settle on a game plan and a style and stick with it and see if they can make it work you know, without changing everything uh, you know, every other season. Yeah, uh, let's get to Bingham's comments and then we'll, we'll continue this conversation. So here's what Bingham had to say uh, whenever he was asked if, if Dominic Kinnear should be considered for, for the head coaching spot. He said, 100%, I think. He goes, obviously, I played with him before in San Jose, so I have the benefit of knowing what it's like under him. But at the end of the day, when the LA Galaxy were at their peak, by the way, this next part is so interesting to me, and I think I agree 100%. Um, but just listen, again, I, I said you were going to get the outsider's perspective, the San Jose, the Houston perspective of the LA Galaxy and, and what needs to happen. And here's David Bingham sort of talking about what the LA Galaxy did during their heyday. He goes, uh, and I quote, but at the end of the day, when the LA Galaxy were at their peak, they had an American coach that had fairly simple tactics, and then they put a team on the field that was competitive and were able to bring home championships. And when you try and replicate that model, I think Dom fits that mold better than anyone. He goes, I believe he's in the top three of uh, most wins in MLS history, which is correct. Uh, Kevin made sure I got that. I think in my story, I said top four because I thought Bradley had won, but he had tied. Um, and he says, so I, I believe he's in the top three for most wins in MLS history, and he knows what it takes to win in this league. And if you gave him the Galaxy with the resources the Galaxy have, I think there's no limit to what he can do with it. That's that's super interesting to me um, whenever you look at what his view of the LA Galaxy was under Bruce Arena. And I can't disagree with that. We talked about Dominic Kinnear, I think even last week, Kevin, we talked about Dominic Kinnear making things simple. And uh, I know for sure on, on our Thursday show, I, I said it but again, but simplicity is doesn't always mean you know easy to play against simplicity can just mean you know to calming all the voices in your head and giving you one sort of thought to concentrate on and that thought makes you better um and and in my mind that's what dominic Kinnear does better than anybody else i think that's what bruce arena also did and probably still does is give guys their best chance at succeeding by giving them sort of a clear idea of what's expected of them and what their role is um, you know, this isn't Boca Juniors where, you know, Gamber Barashkoloto had uh, uh, so many world-class talents on it that you could say, well, you know how to play soccer. I'm just here to give you, you know, sort of the upper level stuff. I mean, we can pretend that Major League Soccer is some great league, but it has a lot of growing pains to come with it. And, you know, the the majority of the mid to lower level roster players still need just some basic stuff to sort of, it, it's not basic tactics, but it's like basic ideas. Don't try to be, you know, this upper level art form. Uh, do something that is going to uh, be able to be, get done and be replicated and have some consistency to it. Because if you look at the LA Galaxy throughout this time, there's been no consistency since, you know, really 2015, 2016 um, in those areas. You, you haven't seen the consistency. So for me, one, looking at what David Bingham's thinks of the LA Galaxy during their peak and two, thinking of Dominic Kinnear and what he could bring for that. I mean, there's some there's some good arguments to have Dominic Kinnear, um, you know, sort of be that guy. Is that is that out of line, Kevin? Well, a thought I had on uh, going back to the locker room thing, and I'll just make this statement and then you can take it and edit it and put it back into that part of the conversation. <laughs> of seamlessly course. like you do. Right. Um, 
when you another thing when you parse the comments of some of these players and Chicharito sort of talked about Guillermo and wishing he could have done more for Guillermo and and uh, you know they all say it wasn't Guillermo's fault uh, but then they talk about Sebastian Legit did this too they, it, it really wasn't Guillermo's fault we feel really bad about it but now we're moving forward a little bit of that there's some truth to that I think some players probably felt Guillermo could have done things differently um, he did do you know a lot of good things I think for some players. But another part of that, too, that you, you can't dismiss is if the players come out and say, um, yeah, the coach was the greatest coach we ever had, we screwed up, then that basically the players are throwing themselves under the bus. They're not going to do that. So you are going to hear a lot of players talk about how things are better since Guillermo left and, and they're going in the right direction. And golly gee, if they just had a whole year with him, how much better they would have been. I'll, I'll, you know, I'm not sure how much I uh, if I take that 100% because it does seem a little bit like – you know, deflecting the blame. Um, yeah, but it, you're, you're right about the whole thing with sort of the American coach. Um, and, and I made the point in the last pod about the Galaxy wanting to go out and maybe get somebody sexy, and, and that means like a European coach with a pedigree. After Ziggy Schmidt was fired, we had a, a long talk one day, and he was showing me some old coaching manuals and books that he had from the 50s and early 60s. And a lot of the stuff that we think of as cutting edge soccer, they were talking about those things back then. And Ziggy said, you know, a lot of the the older American coaches, and he's talking about Bob Bradley and himself and Dominic, who's only 52, and Bruce, he said, you know, we get maligned because we're not that sort of the flavor of the month and we don't have, you know, these great European pedigrees. He goes, but we're coaching the same game. So a lot of times when you go out and say, oh, we're going to bring in this coach from Boca Juniors and he knows all these, these uh, styles of playing and he's really had all the success in South America, a lot of times – the guy in, in, the, in North America who's a little bit of a plain vanilla coach is coaching the same way. He just doesn't call attention to it. And I kind of think Dom's in that mold. He's a quiet guy. He doesn't call a lot of attention to himself. He keeps it simple. But you're, you're right. Putting guys in a position to succeed. The last thing you want to do is take a guy who can't play as a left back or a left winger and make him do that because the team is not going to succeed that way and the player is going to be unhappy and he's not going to play his best game. You need to find a player that can play the position you want. And, and that has a lot to do with putting the roster together too. You can't do these things where, oh, we need a third forward. Well, we'll just take this guy who used to be a left back and we'll make him a forward if we need to. You have to put players in positions to succeed. It makes them happy. It makes the team play better. It makes the coach look better. And it, yeah, when a team is struggling as the Galaxy has, Dominic was absolutely right. Keep it simple. Go back to the beginning. Everyone's played a 4-4-2 or a variant of that. Kind of start there and work off that as your model. And, you know, Bruce was the one that always talked about formations really don't mean anything because right. when they kick the ball off, everybody moves. Yeah, that was, that was 100%. No, and, and, you know, there's, again, it, it's funny because, and I will I will cop to this, and I've coped to this many times. I grew up in the church of Bruce Arena. Um, you know, the guy who I covered for so many years was Bruce Arena. So you're talking about the guy who taught me about soccer was, was Bruce Arena. I, I obviously I understood the game. I, I know, but I can't say that I my my understanding of the game didn't grow because of watching what Bruce Arena did and, and how he does things. And so I'm sure that, you know, in that way it puts me very much in an MLS, you know, one or two mindset for a lot of these things. Um, 
having said that, there's some things that Bruce Arena did whenever he came in in 2008 and, and into the 2009 season that Dominic Kinnear now has a chance to do as well. I mean, you do have some fractured locker rooms. You do have some, some you know, relationships you have to, you know, repair. And I have to wonder, you know, just with the way that Chicharito comes out after Game of Arash is fired and sort of is, is all pointed in one direction and now he's sorry and, and all these things, um, the timing just seems weird enough to me to, to look at this and say, say that it, it feels like, you know, Chicharito didn't get along with Guillermo Barrescoleto. That's me guessing um, and sort of looking at things, but I can't think, I can't stare there and look at what Chicharito did under, you know, GBS and then all of a sudden what he's been able to do just in, you know, a couple games under Dominic Kinnear. Um, there has been a change. There is a change, and even if it's temporary for two games, I have seen an increased work rate. Uh, I've seen an increase in just the, the ability to get on the ball and to move into positions. I've seen that. So, when David Bingham tells you stuff in here as well, again, I didn't ask him to say anything about Gamber Scalotto, but I have to feel that when he's talking, uh, you know, about Dominic Kinnear and, and what he can do, that he is saying something about the team um, because, you know, these are the positive things that, that he sees of Dominic Kinnear where they were negative before. That sort of goes back to Perry Kitchen saying, you know, uh, yeah, well, you know, he has control of the locker room and I understand where you're coming from. But in order for Perry to think of control of the locker room as a positive, it makes me think that the locker room was out of control before. Um, and again, maybe that's just diving into things too far. But here's what David Bingham's had to say about uh, uh, Kinnear and and sort of what made him different um, as a coach. And, and David Bingham says, and I quote, I think he, he kind of speaks the player's language. He knows what buttons to push at the right time. And Dom holds every player to the same accountability. When you look at how other coaches coach and some players have different levels of accountability, it never really works throughout the team. Some players feel, feel gypped or whatnot. Dom holds everyone accountable. It doesn't matter if you're a DP making 10 million or if you're a minimum salary guy he doesn't care he holds a standard across the board and players respect that and i think you can just see how the attitude switched when he came in just the respect he demands and he simplifies the game for you and then you play better so uh david bingham talking after the game there Again, just there's so many things that I could say. I mean, so so the accountability and we sort of touched on this before is, you know, it seems like there are players who weren't being held to accountability. And you can argue about guys like and I remember Robbie Keane sort of had some different rules and Bruce Arena was pretty straightforward on that. If you trained, you could play and, and they all did. But, you know, there's also stories of Robbie Keane quitting after a scrimmage and training because his team lost. Right. And he was like, screw this. I'm out of here. If you guys aren't going to play and we're not going to win, then I'm going to leave. And, you know, that that to me is like one of those things as a coach where you sit there and say, well, you know, that's your guy right there. And he's leaving because you guys aren't trying. I mean, those can be like motivational. But if you have guys who are not um, held to the same sort of level, and I think Bruce held everybody really to the same amount of level, he expected the same on game day from everybody. Um, and if you didn't give that and you didn't prove yourself, then you didn't get to play. Um, and, and so I think it has to tell me that there were some people on this team, as we've, as we've said before, Kevin, that were not being held accountable, that were not doing what everybody else was doing. They had different rules than everybody else, and that makes the locker room a, a bad place to be. Well, I'm going to go back on something that I said earlier when I talked about it's very important that everyone be treated the same in the locker room. Uh, you actually said what I meant. You said it in a much better way. It's the, the holding people accountable because Bruce did say, and I've heard other managers say it too, you you, you really you don't 
treat everyone the same, which is the word I used and I, I misspoke. You don't treat everyone the same because clearly you're going to treat Robbie Keane differently than you're going to treat, um, uh, you know, Ari Lasseter. They, they have come to, to your team from different things. They've accomplished different things. And so they, they get treated differently, but it's that accountability. So maybe Robbie Keane doesn't have to be on the field 10 minutes before training starts like Ari Lasseter does, but he's expected to put in an effort in every game and training, and he's not allowed to leave early. Those, that's the kind of thing that, that I meant and that you said much better. It's the accountability. You know, Maybe Robbie doesn't have to, to stretch as long as the other players do, but he needs to put in the effort when training starts. And if players aren't doing that, then that's a problem. And, and I do find Chicharito's sort of mea culpa coming out now after Guillermo's fired, I find it very interesting um, because it does suggest that perhaps they didn't get along. Um, but, you know, you were there when I had this conversation with someone from the Galaxy who's, who, uh, you know, was off the record, so it's going to remain nameless who it was. But one of the things that, that this person pointed out to me was he said, did you see Chicharito's um, Instagram post? What did you think about that? And I said, yeah, I saw it, and I thought it was a little bit too late. Um, it coming after the coach's firing. I mean, we're we're twenty some games into the season, and now all of a sudden he's saying, you know what? I'm going to try harder. And and the Galaxy person was really taken back by that, and it led me to the conclusion that this whole social media campaign that Chicharito's on, and he's spoken now to the media twice in the last two games, which he hadn't spoken for months before that is part of a public relations campaign just to sort of say, yeah, we're all going to take responsibility now. Even Chicharito is going to, you know, fess up and admit that, that he's had a rough season and, you know, he has, but I'm going to give Chicharito a little bit of a break. There's been a lot of stuff going on with him this year. Um, and I'm not even talking about the, the, the stuff from Mexico. I'm talking about his grandfather, who he was very close to died early in the season. He was stranded away from his family because of COVID, you know, his wife had the baby. He had the two injuries. So there, there was a lot of stuff going on with Chicharito. Doesn't explain or excuse his season, but um, you know it does. It, it does give him a little bit of cover if he comes off looking a little distracted. But waiting until the twenty-second game or twenty-first game of the season to come out and say, you know what, guys, I really haven't been playing as well as I could. Um, that to me seemed a little bit, um, uh, you know, tone deaf. Yeah, the the timing the timing just feels weird. It just again, a lot of times this isn't about you know what is actually happening, but the optics of what is happening, right? What does it look like? What does it sound like? Um, and you look at Chicharito, and and by the way, you know I get <laughs> I put out the stats today, and I've kept these stats for a while, so this is nothing new. But this certainly started because the LA Galaxy have had a history of designated players not playing. Um, and I asked Dennis DeClosa this. If you didn't catch Thursday's interview with with uh, Dennis DeClosa, we got about 30, uh, I think, really good minutes from, from Dennis. And I'm not going to say he answered every question I wanted the way that I would have liked him to answer. Uh, but he at least attempted to to answer those questions. And uh, sometimes he hit on some some stuff that was really important. And sometimes, you know, I, I think he talked his way around stuff. And, and I understand all that. I mean... Looking at, at Chicharito, um, he played 38.3% of the total available minutes. So in 22 games, if you multiply that by 90 minutes, it's 1,980 minutes, Kevin. Easy math on that. Uh, Javier played in 12 games, started seven games, uh, played a total of 758 minutes. So that's 38.3% of the total minutes. Jonathan Dos Santos, which, by the way, good trivia question for you all. Um, only played 35.4% of the, he actually played less minutes than Chicharito, which seems impossible, but he played fewer. Yeah. fewer. Oh, sorry. A, a fewer minutes, uh, games played. He played in 13 games. Jonathan Dos Santos, he played in more games, 
played fewer minutes. Uh, game started seven was the same for both of them, about 58 uh, less minutes for Jonathan Dos Santos on that. And then we talked about Christian Pavone earlier, every minute of every game. So if you look at the LA Galaxy, uh, 60% of the time, the LA Galaxy had their designated players playing um, in that. So they played 60, almost 60% of the total available minutes, 57.9%. But you look at and Christian they only they, Yeah, go ahead. They, I was going to say, they only, they only started four games together. So, yeah, four, and they four played games. 22. Yep. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no it, it's it's crazy. But it, seriously, if you take out Christian Pavone from this designated player list, again, every minute, every game started everything. Uh, Christian Pavone was absolutely outstanding this year. Um, but if you do that, you end up with like a 36, 37 percent average for the other two designated players on this team. You can't you can't have that. Um, we've said it before with Roman Alessandrini and Roman, you know, got got run out of town basically because he couldn't stay healthy. So Jonathan Dos Santos could not stay healthy this year. And he's had that problem before. Uh, Javier Hernandez, you spend, you know, six million, five million, six million plus, you know, almost 10 million a transfer fee. Uh, and, and you got 758 minutes and two goals out of him. I mean, the the ridiculousness of what happened to the L.A. Galaxy starts right here, um, which is that you had two designated players who basically did not play this year. Um, and when you look at that and you look at the scouting that it takes and the people that they expected to be and then the medical staff and everything else, you have to say it's a failure across the entire organization that this has been a problem for the L.A. Galaxy. They cannot keep designated players healthy. They cannot keep them on the field. And whenever you go back to the days when the L.A. Galaxy had great designated players and had success on the field, it was because those guys played, you know, a lot of minutes towards the the successful time. Um, you know, David Beckham had some injuries before that, didn't play, was on loan to a whole bunch of places. And look at the LA Galaxy struggled. When your most expensive players are not on the field, this isn't a shock, Kevin. When your most expensive players are not on the field, you do not play well. Um, and, and I think that's a huge issue the LA Galaxy have to sort of write. But specifically with Javier, Kevin, you owe Chicharito, you know, another 10 or $12 million over the next two years. Um, if it's a total three-year contract, people are saying get rid of Chicharito. Well, the LA Galaxy would have to eat that. Um, and they've already eaten about $16 million with the transfer fee and his salary for this year, although I'm sure it's less than that because of uh, the pandemic and a whole bunch of other reasons. But whenever you look at that, that's what they agreed to pay him. Um, so so you do that and you get two goals in 758 minutes. He can be injured. He can have problems. All those can, things can be. But I'm telling you, the Chicharito that the LA Galaxy got for most of this year, for the first you know five games that he started, or, or for the first, let's say he played 12 games, so the first 10 games of this year wasn't even better than Ethan Zubak. And I, I listen, that's not to get down on Ethan Zubak, but I think we all know the difference between Chicharito or what Chicharito is supposed to be and what Ethan Zubak is supposed to be. Well, yeah, and this is where you and I are going to diverge uh, a little bit in that uh, Chicharito has one year for sure. And I think it's I'm not sure if it's one year and an option or two years. But in any case, there's a, a $12 million out there that that he's probably going to have to get paid in addition to the transfer fee, which was just about $10 million. Um, uh, you know, and I or he could wind up if he extends beyond that, he could wind up being the most expensive player in, in franchise history. But um he, there are twelve million dollars on the table that the Galaxy have to give him, <clears throat> regardless of what happens going forward. And as you said, you can't afford, with a salary cap and MLS salary structure, what it is. You can't afford to just waste that money. That's why I think whatever coach comes in next needs to have a good relationship with Chicharito. Needs to be able to understand him and and find a way to get the best out of him. Because you're not going to sit twelve six million dollars on the bench. You're not going to uh, buy him out and let him go. Uh, that worked out with Gio, but that's not going to work every time. Um, I, I do think the next coach coming in 
you know, Chicharito, I don't think Chicharito gets a say in who the coach is the way Kobe Bryant did, but I think uh, there has to be a reasonable expectation that the two are going to be able to get together. And, and and to me, that works in Dominic's favor because they already do have a relationship and Dom has seemed to be able to get something out of him in these last two games. I, I don't think you bring a coach in um, unless you have a, a feeling that they're going to be able to get along with Chicharito and, and get something out of him. I, I will say this. I won't blast you as hard as I did whenever you told me what you were going to say before we started recording and only because I think you parsed it. He doesn't get a say. Um, I agree with that 100%. He does not get a say. Quite honestly, I don't care what Chicharito thinks. Uh, his job is to be out there to play and perform. Now, you want to get the best out of him, and I think you're right. So, um, you know, finding somebody he can work with is important. But, you know, the last time the LA Galaxy went down the path of trying to appease a player with any sort of coach, it was, you know, Ruud Hullet and, and David Beckham, and that was a disaster. And it wasn't until Bruce Arena came in um, and repaired those things. And quite honestly, Bruce Arena didn't care that it was David Beckham. Um, and he, he treated David Beckham like he treated Lana Donovan, which was better than everybody else, um, but just not that much better. Uh, everybody could get yelled at, and, and I think that that's something, something that, that Chicharito needs to understand is that he needs to perform regardless of who this coach is. Uh, certainly, you want to put him in the best light, but he doesn't get a say. Uh, it doesn't matter you know, who, where this coach has been. It doesn't have to be a Mexican coach. It doesn't have to be you know, a South American coach. Um, it, it could be Dominic Kinnear, and, and Dominic Kinnear can, I think... You you know, do these things. I'm gonna. I'm telling you right now. You know, barring any serious inquiries from anybody else. And by the way, I love that there are coaches out there who have declined the LA Galaxy. If you're gonna take Dennis Teclosa on his word, Kevin, Dennis told uh, told me specifically that as of last Thursday, he had not talked to any head coaching candidates. Right? Hadn't picked up the phone. Hadn't talked to anybody. So these people who were already turning the LA Galaxy down, either they did it because Dennis had sent emails out and not phone calls, and they somehow got around the question that way, or they're just they're they're just they they hear about it and somebody says, hey, would you take the LA Galaxy job? And they're like, no, I'm not going to take it. Mostly probably because you haven't been offered the job, you haven't been discussed the job. The job is not out there for you yet. Um, so so looking at those, all those things is, you know. You need to go in. The Galaxy need to make the best decision for this club, period. I don't care about Chicharito. I don't care about Jonathan Dos Santos. I don't care about any other player on that team. I don't care David Bingham. Nobody. They don't get to decide where this team is going. And so far, the LA Galaxy have chosen wrong. You know, they, it's. I almost feel like it's Indiana Jones. You have chosen, you know, poorly. Um, and then you turn into a skeleton and you go away. And that movie is now old enough that it's probably dating me. But everybody has watched Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right? That's That's not a... Kevin, you've watched that movie. What's what's it about again? That's the, are you serious? Don't make me don't make me explain Indiana Jones and the last. That's the if that's, Will if Will Ferrell's not in it, I probably haven't he, seen it. Yeah, that's that's probably true. Um, yeah, but that, you know what? In, in saying all that, I'm gonna we, we don't have nearly much as uh, enough time to right. to chew on this next issue. But I, I just want to get it on the record that all this talk about the coach and Chicharito, we've been there before. We've talked about the coach when Ziggy came in and when Ziggy went out. We talked about designated players when Gio came in and when Gio went out. We've had these discussions before. You know, the one thing that hasn't changed, there hasn't been any significant moves in the front office. Yes, Pete Viannis was was fired. He was made the scapegoat after the second season. But the Galaxy have changed coaches now four times in four seasons. They've made the playoffs once in that time. During the last four years, they have had more losses, 56 or 57, than any four-year period in, in history. Um, every You can look at any number you want, uh, any uh, any barometer of how they've performed in the last four years. And they're at the bottom six years without an MLS cup final appearance, just changing the coach 
or even making a move with the general manager. And I do think that Dennis, uh, you know, should be allowed to say and should be safe. But if you're just doing the same thing and you're expecting a different result, you know, that's the, the old cliche. That's the definition of insanity. They need to do more. They need to do something to change the culture. I'm not calling for anyone to be fired, but I'm just saying that it has to go beyond the on-field staff and players because they've changed all that before. They've gone through 66 players in the last four years. Same results. Um, What hasn't happened is a front office shakeup. And if that doesn't happen, I'm not sure how you repair the culture and how you get people to realize that this is serious well i'm, I'm gonna say this uh the la galaxy do have a conference call um scheduled for wednesday on november 11th um that will be have uh general manager dennis DeClosa and la galaxy president chris klein on it so maybe we'll get some more in- answers whenever uh that press conference happens i know everybody was sort of talking about it today um it's an interesting part of that one of the things we were going to do kevin is sort of go over the roster and sort of take some things we're going to push that off for another day because we still have some stuff i want to get to uh before before we're, we're totally done here. I wanted to get to some LA Galaxy stats, certainly that uh, I know you've compiled and I think you've spit out a couple of them during this time. And I know I've spit out a couple of them during this time as well. But I wanted to get to sort of, you know, showing you where this LA Galaxy team uh, sits and and how how it compares to some of their other seasons like I like to do. Um, it, it's worth noting the LA Galaxy finished 10th out of 12 teams in the Western Conference. And they finished 20th out of 26 teams in in the entire overall standings. So when you look at those those two things, I, I think that puts the LA Galaxy in where they have been in a pretty you know Im- important light there. Uh, it, it's something to look at. Now, uh, one of the things I've been sort of looking at is trying to compare this LA Galaxy season with others, and obviously the short amount of games and, and other things have sort of um, sort of made that difficult to do just because you can't just straight up look at it and say oh yeah absolutely you can you can compare you know the 2017 la galaxy to the 2020 because uh the different amount of games and different things sort of look so uh, i did end up going to some percentages and sort of looking at things so on win percentage uh the worst win percentage in la galaxy history kevin came in the 2017 season uh the la galaxy in 2017 won 23.5 percent of their games all right uh now the 2020 team is the second worst in uh, in LA Galaxy history out of their 25 seasons. Uh, their win percentage this year was 27.3%. Uh, so when you look at that, I think that puts you in a, in a pretty stark uh, sort of understanding of where this LA Galaxy team is. Of course, it gets worse uh, because losing percentage, if you want to talk about the highest losing percentage of any team, it was this 2020 team. Uh, they lost 54.5% of their total games. Um, and the second place team in that was the 2017 LA Galaxy who lost 52.9% of their total games. Uh, now let's get to, to I think is a very important uh, percentage that I don't think people take into account enough, but uh, to point out, uh, we're going to look at the result, right? How many times did the LA Galaxy get a point or better? Uh, and if you compare all 25 seasons, the best team the LA Galaxy ever had was the 2011 team. And that result um, they got a result 85.3% of the time. All right. That also goes along with a losing percentage of 14.7% and a win percentage of 55.9%. So, I mean, some, some seriously big numbers. 2016 actually is the second best result oriented team, which is interesting. Uh, 82.4% of the time they got a result of a point or better. Um, so, so just sort of comparing that, if you go to 2020, uh, it is the worst um, in the result table. Uh, the LA Galaxy only managed to get a result 45.5% of the time. So uh, by any measure and by sort of uh, these metrics you put in there, the LA Galaxy in 2020 
uh, didn't have a great year, Kevin. I think that's the the understatement of those uh, statistics. No, and again, this is the second year of a three-year rebuilding process. You would have expected them perhaps not to win the MLS Cup, but to make some progress over last year when they made the playoffs. Instead, they regressed. They were one of, I think, three, four teams in MLS of the 26 teams to go to the final day of the of the regular season without a chance to make the playoffs. Uh, that's not progress when they made the playoffs last year and actually won their, uh, their first playoff game since uh, – since 2016 so they're not moving in the right direction no they're not uh let's go to to points and we can we can compare every season the la galaxy have ever played through 22 games i have those stats and i can look at that so through 22 games there was only one season that was worse than the la galaxy through these 22 games uh that they played this year and that was 2007 so uh 22 points in 2020 and in 2007 they had 17 points uh if you go back to 2017 which everybody sort of agrees is a, is a fairly horrible year uh the la galaxy had 23 points through 22 games um so just just sort of looking at that again uh, a way to sort of measure the la galaxy and say okay again not good enough Right. It's not good enough. And again, not making progress. I mean, I think that's kind of the key fact. If it's a three-year rebuilding progress uh, project, you have to make progress. Yeah, I, That's I think, the whole point. I think the LA Galaxy would tell you to trust the process, Kevin. And in this case, uh, the process is them going in reverse. Um, one more thing that I think uh, are two more stats that I pulled up uh, the LA Galaxy average points per game so one of the things we can do is you know take your points per game average and say how good were you across all the other seasons uh, the LA Galaxy finished with 1.00 points per game in 2020 22 games 22 points uh, in 2017 the LA Galaxy finished with a .94 points per game record which was the worst in LA Galaxy history so it remains the LA Galaxy uh, in 2020 have the second worst points per game uh, uh, average uh, of, of any LA Galaxy team to have ever played. I the, the, just the, the difference between 2017 and 2020 to me are, are vast and, and numerous. And at the same time, uh, this 2020 uh, team seems to have done worse and worse. Maybe they could have turned it around had they had more games, Kevin. I have no idea. But uh, certainly when you look at this, it, it gives you the idea that no, they may have gotten uh, you know worse if, if they played more games. Um, the only other thing that I sort of wanted to hit before we uh, before we get on out of here was the goal projection um and it's something that you know i tried to say hey if you're going to score 34 goal or if you're going to play 34 games how many goals would you have given up so it's sort of a straight proje projection uh the la galaxy in 22 games you know gave up or scored 27 goals and conceded 46 um if you project that out they were scheduled or at least projected to to uh to get 41.7 goals in 2020 through a 34 game season uh the 41 is isn't the worst uh but it's only four from the bottom of the worst uh whenever you look at 2006 had 37 goals 2007 had 38 and this one's interesting 2009 they go to an mls cup and they only had 36 goals scored for them um but you know had a very good defense that year as well so um projected against historical on the on the goals well, against yeah hold, let me get this and then you, then you can go um 71.1 is the amount of goals the LA Galaxy were projected to give up if they played 34 games they ended up giving 46 goals um in in their 22 games so if you project that out it's 71.1 and that would be the highest for sure 2017 they gave up 67 goals 2018 64 goals and 2008 they gave up 62 goals so 71 projected would be the worst ever goals against for the la galaxy 
Yeah, I was going right where you were going because it, it was a shortened season, the shortest season in MLS history, by the way. And not everybody even played the 23 games. Colorado only played 18. But um, over the last four years, again, going back to after Bruce left and, and all these experiments started, the Galaxy have given up 236 goals in a four-year period. Um, uh, I, I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, 236 goals, and, and, and in this season, you didn't even play a full season. Um you know, that's that's pretty remarkable, uh, an average of 59 goals a year. Yeah, I was going to say, I was trying to do the math real quick and divide it by four. Yeah, 59 goals per year. Yeah, I mean, you're not Steve Kornacki. Don't try that. Yeah, I was going to say, I won't do it in my head. Um, but no, I mean, you know, it's been it's been a comedy of errors. And we've talked about the LA Galaxy defense, a, 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 a place, by the way, they have invested some money over the last three or four years. They have tried to bring in people. They have brought people in. We talked about Insua. We talked about People Gonzalez. We talked about Michael Ciani, Yellow Van Dam. I mean, they're, they have not not spent money on defense, um, but yet they, they don't seem to be able to get it together, and I certainly think a, a weakened midfield is a big reason the LA Galaxy give up a lot of goals. I mean, Dominic Kinnear talked about the third goal and said it's inexcusable that we gave up that third goal. I know we were pressing. I know we were trying to do it, but it's just simple mistakes. He goes, I can go, I can, you know, I can fix that, basically, paraphrasing He's like, you can see it. I, I know how to teach that. Um, and it's something that we needed to get better at, and we didn't. So, um, well, yeah, it's just... You, you, you bring up a really good point about the spending. Yes, they have spent money, and I think that's a point that needs to be made because the Galaxy, the, the brass there, get very anxious when you start talking about them being cheap and not spending, um, which, by the way, in 2017, they clearly did. They clearly did try to take another... Uh, 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 approach financially and, and they, they did get pretty cheap that year and it didn't work out. But I mean, since then they have spent money. I mean, they, they, they gave Zlatan the richest contract in MLS history. They spent, uh, they made the richest transfer uh, payment that they ever have in franchise history uh, to get Chicharito. So they have spent money. Um, they just haven't spent it wisely and it doesn't seem to go together. I mean, they seem to be spending money on pieces rather than trying to spend the money on making the mold fit. And that's where we go back to second year of a three-year rebuilding project and they're not making any progress. That's because I don't think they're following a blueprint. I think they're just throwing things against the wall to see what sticks. And again, that's not going to work. Uh, spending money is great, but you need to spend it wisely and you need to spend it on pieces that are going to fit with one another. Yeah, you, you make you make. I mean, that's sort of you can you can be frivolous with your money and and not make it last. You can not do some of your homework. I mean, we can go back to the Yellow Galaxy not doing their homework. Go back to Yellow Van Dam, um, which was that they didn't understand that he you know his his family was going through a, a divorce and that he was going to miss his kids and his kids were back at home and that was going to be a fact. That's always a factor. You need to understand that. Look at um, Alexander Katai and there were hints and and problems with him in Chicago, but the Yellow Galaxy didn't do their homework on him. They didn't understand a hundred percent what they were getting and it ended up biting them and you can say that was unforeseen and you know how would you know? listen there are red flags there you, you probably should have been able to figure out some of those things I mean you, you can even go to you know Javier Hernandez and, and say that um, yeah there were probably some red flags here that, that should have showed up pretty quickly about you know what was going on and whether or not you could have intervened and done anything to change the course of the season um, and did you and, and 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 you didn't and, and basically this is where you're at for the LA Galaxy so um, a lot of things uh, have to change and, and go in a different direction for the Galaxy. One of those things is getting a head coach. Um, Dennis talked about it on, on our show on Thursday, which is, you know, yes, we want to do this. Uh, you know, he didn't want to give a timeline, which I understand. Um, he goes, you know, you, you don't want to rush it. You want to make sure you get the right one. But at the same time, there's roster decisions that have to be made, and you would like to have a head coach in there helping you make these roster decisions um, so that way they can have some ownership of this as well. So um, if I'm the LA Galaxy, I wrap this up more quickly than probably people 
people would expect because uh, basically FC Cincinnati, by the way, sort of led MLS out of the uh, into the into the offseason by releasing their roster decisions, who they picked up options are, options declined, all that type of thing. And they said, you know, as happens, as soon as it's over, we release the information. And it's like, well, that's not how the LA Galaxy do it. And that's not how most of the league does it. Um, so I went back and actually looked the, uh, the last couple of years of when the LA Galaxy announced their roster decisions, Kevin, and they always announced them on the deadline that was provided by Major League Soccer. And I have not seen an off-season calendar yet for Major League Soccer, so I can't predict when that will be for the LA Galaxy, when you'll start to see that. But um, it's usually been about 30 days after the end of the season for those clubs. So um, I can I can look back here and say, you know, on uh, on Thursday, November 21st, uh, roster decisions in 2019 came. Um, you know, I look back and said Monday, November 27th, uh, roster decisions in 2017 were made. Um, so it, it's just you got to look at that and say, OK, about 30 days. So the Galaxy have about 30 days to find a head coach if they want them as part of that and less than that, because really you should have a plan before you go into options declined, options picked up, um, all those interesting roster moves that you have to make in Major League Soccer to sort of, you know, let the guys get their uh, get all their information and 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 their heads up before the uh, the season's over. Well, let me push back on that a little bit because of just what we just talked about having a plan. Um, it, it may seem like uh, you know it's the chicken or the egg, but if you hire a manager and then try to build the team around him, then every time you 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 change managers, you have to restructure the team. I think it would be smarter for Dennis in the front office to say, this is our culture. This is the way we're going to go forward. This is our team. Build your team because this is MLS again. It's not Manchester City where you can go out and buy any player in the world you want to fit your coach's um, his style. I, I think it, if we're in the middle of this rebuilding project and we take Dennis at his word and we're building the academy and doing those things, it would seem to me that you want to structure your team and make these decisions and then go get a coach that fits the style that you're trying to put together uh, as opposed to the other way around. And I realize that that's different from the way it happens in the rest of the world. But again, this is MLS with a with a salary cap and, and some really uh, draconian financial uh, restraints that teams have. I, I'm not so sure that the coach becomes the first part of that. The coach, I can see them actually bringing the coach in at the end and saying, this is the team we have. This is the style of play these players fit. Can you coach this style of play? Why do you always make me mad at like the end of the shows? So that way, like whenever I'm like, oh, we should wrap this up. And then you say something and I'm like, oh, this is something I can definitely argue with. And this is, I, you know what? We'll, I'll run the show a little longer tonight. This is something I can definitely argue with. Being I'm in charge, I like this. I could have cut it off if you were correct, Kevin. I would just have said, okay, thanks. We're done. But I am, but I am correct. But no, just, this, this time. Giving you more rope to hang yourself. This here. this time you, you once again, you actually, like most of you, you're completely wrong. And I will tell you why you're completely wrong. You can't, a coach is going to want to have buy-in on these things. And I'll tell you what your solution is here. Instead of just telling you how wrong you are, I will tell you what the solution here is, is that you buy good pieces and good players. And then your style of play is reflected in the quality of the players and not necessarily with the coach. But here's the part of that that makes sense is your coach has to have buy-in. Your coach has to have input. If your coach likes to see, you know, a midfielder that runs out on the right-hand side with a lot of speed, then, you know, if you're going to put in Sasha Kleshin at right midfield, well, then he's not very fast and that's not going to work for this coach and this coach is going to do it. Guillermo got his guys. 
Um, but you can't tell me that if if the Galaxy somehow figure out a way to keep Christian Pavone, that that's going to hamper the LA Galaxy if they're going to have a different style. No, it's not. Because Christian Pavone is an excellent player. So find good players and your style of play matters a little bit less and any coach that you bring in will be happy with those players. Um, but at the same time, the coach is going to want those buy-in. The coach is going to want to have a say in that. And it's a partnership between Dennis and whoever that coach is. And yes, you know, you know what the solution is to not having to worry about changing uh, changing the roster every time a coach leaves. Find a coach that is good and have them stay. All right. So uh, again, there's solutions to these issues. It just has to do with quality, um, and it has to do with the LA Galaxy getting it right. And I think you know it points to more things that y- you were 100% correct on this, and I will give you points for this. Is that something has to change within the organization because you're you're banging your head against the wall doing the same thing over and over again, and you can't understand why your head hurts. Well, it's because you keep banging your head against the wall. So stop banging your head against the wall. Make changes that matter, um, and put people at the same as Dominic. Kinnear coming in and being simple, Kevin, and putting people in positions to succeed, the front office needs to have that as well. The front office needs to have people in positions to succeed, and I'm not sure that's where it's at right now. Well, and you look, and you know, I'm I'm a believer in Dennis, but I will say that in one thing that I I do think he's made a mistake in is if you are, again, building for the future and you're putting a project together, look at uh, three of the most dynamic players that he's had in his two seasons here, you know, Antuna, Pavone, and uh, Fabio Alvarez, all on loans. Two of them are already gone. It looks like Pavone could be going, and we don't know about Yanni Gonzalez. If these are pieces that you consider to be very valuable to your team and that are going to build your team going forward and they're on loan, you know, it, that's kind of like a lease to buy, and then all of a sudden you don't have enough money to buy, and, and then you got to start all over again. I mean, they kind of built this team a little bit around Pavone, and he may not be here next year. So does that mean we start all over again? Counterpoint to that is that the LA Galaxy haven't been stuck with some contracts that maybe they might be stuck with. Look at Yanni Gonzalez. Uh, do you Have you seen enough from Yanni Gonzalez to consider him for next year, Kevin? Or is this this is this experiment done and over with? Well, I... I I haven't seen him in training. I don't know I, what I've seen in games. I, I really can't commit. I can't say that. Yeah, I want him back. If he came back, if he showed up at the doorstep, I'd let him in. But if I was going to have to invest a lot of money to keep him, I probably wouldn't do that. Yeah, I mean, and and that's one of those. That's one of those things you sort of look at and you say, okay, that makes some sense. You know, why? Why perhaps maybe it is. I mean, the loans are good because it gives you a chance to sort of you know test out these guys. And listen, you weren't going to be able to buy Christian Pavone outright. So the fact that the LA Galaxy have Christian Pavone is because of the fact that there was a loan out there right i think we can we can agree that the galaxy weren't going to be able to buy christian right away um, and in fact whenever they brought him on remember they could they didn't have a designated player spot open so they couldn't even bring him in they ended up getting the loan for basically for free which is one of the reasons that it even worked so i mean with pavone it's a little bit different with antuna i think there are lots of people who think that's a mixed bag i agree with you that it's better to control but looks what look what happens whenever you control uh, contracts, which is that you have, you know, people Gonzalez for two or three years, um, and he has not been great. You may say he turned a corner under Dominic Nier, but are you willing to invest, you know, the the time and money uh, that you have on him, which is a lot, a significant amount of money, um, you know, for for people Gonzalez? Or if he was on loan, could you have sent him back on loan already? I mean, you, you can't do it for every player, I realize, but when you do invest, you need to be right. And I think that a lot of times the loans protect you from being wrong. But what happens whenever you're you're, you're right on players like Christian Pavone is you don't get to control their future. So it, it's a, it's a tough place to be in. But I agree with you, and I also I can see the flip side of it as well. Yeah, no, I, I I'm totally in the same boat. You know, you you've invested in. in Jonathan Dos Santos is a great player, but he's just hurt too much. Um, you know, if he was in a, on a loan situation, might let him go. 
but then you bring in the player that is making a difference and he is on the loan. So yeah, it, you're right. I mean, the financial part of it dictates everything and you and when you're going to commit to players you really need to make sure that you get everything 100 percent right hey loans are cheaper Lo- loans are cheaper sometimes which is why you can uh, sometimes bring players in and do that stuff yeah yeah but it, sh- it just makes it hard to build that foundation when the foundation is not solid you, that the guy can if the guy's good he's gonna go um you know if he's there on loan and then if he's not good you don't want to keep him anyway so it's it's just every year you start over again gone, gone are the years of bruce arena bringing in like three or four brazilians trying them out sending two of them back and keeping you know and keeping juninho um you know and leonardo really whenever and you when, Sarvist. yeah well Sarvis came from from a different place um he was not on loan uh he came from alo uh whenever uh whenever they got him but yes you're, you're correct i mean that's 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 what you're looking at for for those things you can get them right i just it's just tougher um to get them right so uh all interesting all right uh what's up from next for the la galaxy no idea um they haven't released any conference schedules. call yeah, there's a conference call on Wednesday. That's about as far as we go. Uh, Thursday night, we should have a live show. Um, I imagine eventually there's going to be a small hiatus from the show because, uh, as I mentioned at the top, I'm exhausted. Um, and I know a lot of the guys who have been uh, been doing this and the, and the ladies who have been doing this are exhausted as well. So I imagine there will be a short break. Um, and we may have to uh, do some technical stuff and some other things to, to sort of keep the uh, COVID not in the studio stuff uh, rocking and rolling. And my wife has requested that I do more shows from home. So I'm actually here um, and can uh, and can play with the kids. So we'll we'll keep doing that. But yeah, so that's sort of what's on the horizon for us. I don't know if we're going to have a big show on Thursday. There's a good possibility there could be. Uh, we just have to sort of get in gear and try to put that together to sort of wrap up the season. So a lot of stuff still coming from Corner of the Galaxy. We're not going to go anywhere. And certainly we'll be here for breaking news and all that fun stuff. But um, I expect a hiatus of at least a week or two um, from me here in, in the coming week. Um, so not yet Thursday live show, but uh, maybe after that, a couple weeks off. So uh, slacking again, as I like to say, uh, Kevin, anything else you want to talk about? Or can we finally end this show? Unless you say something, don't say anything stupid right now, because if you do, I'll have to argue <laughs> with you and I will do it. I'm in a mood. No, there's breaking. I uh, just breaking news. That'll be old by the time this podcast comes out. But an uh, inter Miami player is tested positive for COVID nineteen as they prepare for the playoffs. Oh, uh, it's. I mean, it's still out there. Um, I, it's I know not going it, away. It's not going away. It's going to get worse this winter. So everybody, uh, wear a mask and uh, and and wash your hands and uh, and stay safe. That's all. That's all we can do. All right. If you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, it's at kbaxter11. Head over to the LA Times. Subscribe to his newsletter, which comes out usually has our podcast located way down there at the bottom. I asked for top billing. I, I still. Have haven't gotten it but that's okay uh kevin will have his newsletter out it's a great way it's free go ahead and subscribe to it and uh and you can have that so latimes.com all of kevin's soccer coverage uh u.s men's national team u.s women's national team southern california teams all right there latimes.com all right if you're looking for me on twitter at jay guessman at galaxy podcast and of course corner the galaxy.com for our reviews uh, our podcasts uh our grading the galaxy articles the hammer has his latest out and uh, of course look for our show live on thursday all right for uh mr kevin the panda baxter i'm josh guessman you've been listening to corner of the galaxy from the box on corner have a great one everybody you've been listening to the corner of the galaxy podcast on corner of the you can follow the show on twitter and instagram at galaxy podcast and be sure to check out and subscribe to itunes stitcher and facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. Fans, we thank you for listening, and we ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.